What is up, everyone? Sorry for a couple minutes of tangents. We're trying to hope our special guest would arrive. Sadly, he didn't, so we have to settle for the second second best MA1 player in the state. Maybe third best, depending on how you look at the stats. But Sam Benson, uh, Mr. All Day Disc Golf himself, welcome into the house. As always, Cody is playing hooky. Cody did not want to show up. He said... Page got one off in Dela. He wants one off at BSF. Next week is Cascade, and I'm sure Josh will take it off. So, no, Cody, but we all know he's the worst, so don't worry about that. We have Josh, qualified to eat tacos, winter. Um, and, of course, your boy, your man, the voice of your dreams, Paige Hurtado is here. Sam, how you been? Worse been and worse weeks. every week. You know, it, my my week didn't start off so great, but it's really looking up now. I'm on your guys' podcast. I got into BSF last minute. You know, it's all it's all. What, what happened good. at the beginning of the week? Uh, I got beat by you in the qualifier. That's what happened. You know what? I'll admit it. Force your ass to make him say that. Square. Damn. That's all I had him on here. All right, Sam. That's good to see you. We all right, see you guys next week. No. <laughs> no, I was super pumped to see you get in. And like, I think the number one reason I was excited for you to get in is because I'm not the lowest rated Pearson on PSF anymore. I am. (laughs) Takes all the pressure off. All the pressure is off now. I'm just in a place to be like my most perfect self. (laughs) Yeah, when did you get uh, accepted in? Uh, Three hours ago. (laughs) Okay. Because I was doing like my fantasy draft uh, for this tournament. And whenever I like have to shuffle all the players by PDGA and always like throw page at the top and then I could reverse it. Um, <laughs> so look at that. I was just happy to see his name at the bottom. So, oh, I mean, you just said it was at the because, top. So, <laughs> well, I mean, in reverse, but That's like fine. what I like to see is because if you're at the bottom or now Sam's at the bottom and they're going to be the underdog coming in and taking that dub and we're going to, Oh, see, this is where like Tuesday they're like, Oh, Paige, you won it. And I was like, you know, I got second, but I feel like there was only one prize for that tournament, and that was to qualify, so I felt like I won that tournament. And I think here, my big thing, and I'll actually have to ask you, Sam, too, because we're kind of in the same boat. Like, what is your goal for this tournament going into it this weekend? So I have two goals. The number one goal is don't embarrass myself this weekend. <laughs> um, I'm getting in super last minute. I am definitely not mentally prepared. Uh, to go into this caliber event. I've never played in this kind of field, anything like this. So it's going to be, there's a lot of stress and anxiety there. So my my first goal is to just don't make a fool of myself. But honestly, my my second goal is to play my game. Uh, We spoke about this, about what happened at the qualifier earlier. I got away from what I'm good at. I stopped doing what makes me successful. And I, I really fell off down the stretch and so i'm going to be under a really different kind of pressure and so as far as this tournament goes you know if i finish last i finish last my goal is to take what i can learn from this tournament and apply it to the rest of the year the next couple years and the next time i can play an event like this i know what to do i've been there before that kind of thing yeah no definitely and i think that's great mindset to have because that was like me coming at dela like i really did my best to not think of de la as a, a lost master's cup like i didn't have the showing i wanted by any means but i think uh tuesday's qualifier was really that kind of like solidified me home of keeping that like mentality of de la 
like coming on and not looking at a loss and learning from that, which helped me kind of finish strong. Like 17, there was a whole, like when it was the par four, I had a cross and it's like, I had a cross to try to save my bogey. So it wasn't even like, oh, I'm just tapping in a bogey. It's like, I have to throw 150 shot across this parking lot on a small green, a touch shot from Paige's awkward distance of 150 to 200. Like, and that's where it's just like, I kind of just took a deep breath. I was like, eventually you have to cross Paige. So just fucking cross. And I threw it. This was perfect. And then it drops hyzers. I'm like, oh, that's the road. And it just barely scoots up and, you know, took my bogey happily. But I think carrying those like little bit of lessons forward is huge and being able to go to it this weekend. That's been some of my best tournaments is where it's like, I have no expectations going in besides don't embarrass myself, have fun and try to like, I, this is what I always like to say, like try to ruin everybody's rating because <laughs> I'm so low. If I shoot hot, it's going to ruin people's rating by at least a couple points. You know, they're going to be like, this was a 1040 rated round, but this little effort at 955 <laughs> shot the same rating. So now 1020 to 1015, like it makes a little bit of a difference. And I want to be that person right now. I want to be that person that goes in there. And is like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not. But you are. I'm going to play you as well. You are. Oh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing. You, you qualified. You played your way in. It's not like me where I'm getting in because there's a, kind of a magical spot available. You won the qualifier. You earned your way in there. Yeah. And so I, I, I think you really got to take that and put that as a, a notch in your belt. Oh, absolutely. You... I, I was telling people, like, this is my biggest accomplishment in MPO. Better than my one round at Goat Hill. Better than my lead card at Pioneer Open. Like, this has been that breakthrough for me was that qualifier on Tuesday. I'm not saying I don't belong here. I'm just saying, like, I'm not supposed to be here. If you look at the rating, if you look oh, at these sure. things that people give stock to in disc golf, I'm not supposed to exist on this platform. But you're right. I am. And I am here. And, like, that's my goal is to not only, like, ruin people's rating, but to improve on that. Like, today's practice <laughs> round was just that. Like, my game plan Tuesday was correct. So double down today in my practice round and commit to that same game plan. And then tomorrow's going to be that same thing of, like, see, it works. It worked Tuesday. It worked today. Now keep it going because obviously it's a good game plan for Ramon. Is it a winning game plan? No. Like it's not a, a first place game plan. It's not a lead card game plan. And that's fine. I don't need to be lead card there because that's not what success is for me at BSF. Success for me is can I battle cash line? Can I have a card with Kale LaVisca, Gavin Rathbun? Shout out to, you know, the guest Gavin Rathbun on our podcast. And then uh, Thomas of just like – not embarrassing myself in front of them and playing a good game. Can I keep pace with them? Can I throw a different shot when, you know, Gavin Rathbun throws a, a mid range 380 feet. Can I step up and throw my fairway confidently and own that? Can, you know, when they're going for birdie on hole two, can I take my par happily? Like these little things I think is how I'm not going to embarrass myself. And it's like you were saying, like, sticking to our game plan and not getting away from ourselves because Milo does such a good job of trying to bait you into just a little bit more like, Hey, 400 is nice, but what if you threw 410? And then you're just like, Oh, nose up. Heiser stalled out. Now I'm in no man's land. Like it does such a good job of just slow baiting you. And especially when you're like the front nine holes are probably my favorite stretch of that entire course, because after hole nine, you have two par threes and one par five, and the rest are par fours, and you're just, like, trying to be baited into just, like, the, hey, max distance drive, not control drive, just let one rip. 
And that's like the difference on the the waterfront one. What is that <laughs> hole? Eleven? No, ten. Sorry, hole ten. Where like you on our practice round, anyways, went for it, flipped you over, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm tired of doing that. So I went my overstable one and hyzered out there, and it's like that. See that little bit of bait gets you, but. Mm-hmm. No, I think you you nailed it exactly right. The course, especially for players of our skill level, requires a lot of discipline. A lot of knowing what you're capable of, knowing what the percentage shot is, and executing it. Because it's exactly like you said. I have no doubt in my mind that I can birdie 15 out of 18 of those holes. Does that mean it's a good play for me to try to birdie them all? No, almost definitely not. But identifying where to attack, where to play conservative, where to throw, you know, your fairway driver rather than your distance driver. That's what this weekend is going to be all about for me. And I feel, especially after playing the course on Tuesday and knowing exactly where I made those mistakes, I feel really confident that I'm going to be able to do that, you know, over the next three days. No, absolutely. And just like you said, like pushing on that gas, because I think you had a similar mindset. I know Colin was on, uh, I talked with him a little bit about like, not knowing where the scores were, so kind of pushing outside of yourself because you didn't know where the scores were. Whereas, like, for me, it's just like I had an idea, and I am love when I'm right. Um, it happened so much, but I still love it. Because um, I was talking with Colin, and I was like, I think even is going to win the qualifier. And I think he was like, no, I think three or four down is going to win it. And so for me, my whole game plan is like, I'm going to be happy shooting even, so let's shoot even best we can. And you look at my scored card, it's one birdie, all pars up until 17 and 18 where I end bogey bogey, which was unfortunate, but it's like that was still one over and it would have been even if the par five was a par five. And so like my game plan was correct. My vision of it was correct and taking trust in that. And that's the same thing with your game, right? Like not getting away from yourself, not trying to make, cause that's not the stretch to make it up 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18. Isn't the stretch to make it up. This is stretch to, try to go for it and have it fall apart maybe maybe 18 and 16 are softer in there but they still have teeth on it they're still like hole 18 i threw right out of bounds i was like oh this power down we're gonna have a fairway we're gonna throw a pd on heiser it's gonna be fine and then straight out of bounds i'm like okay cool that's how you bogey this hole um yeah see we just had a facebook user say they shot even in practice round today, taking 18 straight pars. It was pretty sick. And I think that's Milo because you pick up one, two, three, maybe four birdies, but you keep the pars. And then all of a sudden you're having a really good round. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's Colin. So that's great shooting. Um, and that's, and that's a huge improvement from, from Tuesday where he was five over. I think you were five over as well, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, five over. I mean, Milo's the kind of course that I feel like that first stretch of three holes is really going to set the tone for the round. Yeah, I Because agree. They, there's a lot of bad things that can happen there. You can also have some good things happen there, but those, those holes have some teeth. And, you know, I put myself in an early hole. I went three over through the first three holes, and I was battling the whole rest of the round. And it, it's a different kind of mental game. It's it's like you said, you know, the end of the course is tough, but you can't forget that the beginning of the course, right? That first hole, what, 460 S shape par three followed by a 1200 foot par five. That's one of the best holes in the world. That's also one of the most difficult in the world. Exactly. It's just, 
Like it's a true par five. That's what I measure all par fives against. And people are like, "Oh, hey, we got this par five over here." I'm like, "Oh, it's a thousand feet. That's a, like that's a le- like two hundred feet less than our monster hole." Wait, there's no landing zone to landing zone. I can open up my arm. I was like, "This isn't a par five. This is easy." And they're just like, "Boom, boom, boom." Like I think Black Butte had like one or two par fives that were just like that, where it's like, "This isn't monster. I have a fairway to work with, and then I have another fairway to work with." Monsters like get in the optimal landing zone to put yourself in the optimal landing zone to put yourself in the optimal landing zone to maybe have birdie slash like par putt. Like it's, it sets a trend. You're right. Like I think the one, two punch, like I think three is where you want to start to get a birdie or two, but whole one and two, you can easily be two, three over um, just really down on yourself and you can easily be even that's kind of that range there. <laughs> and so now, now I'm, I think they did something. Oh. Maybe. Is he freezing for you too, Sam, or is it just me? Yeah, he's 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 gone. All right. He's he's a little bit of a, a carny smoke or a pothead. That's that that's that other side of disc golf we don't talk about enough. <laughs> but no, I'm I don't know. I think they did something special with Milo Gold. I think it's something that's really important. I think Looking at it, probably two like back to back weeks, we have two of the most storied courses. We have Masters Cup at De La Viega, and we have BSF at Milo MacGyver. And these two, these two stops, they both take the same approach, which is let's take this course, let's make it a gold level layout, and in making this gold level layout, we're gonna find a way to highlight our courses to the like the the utmost, right? To this is De La. This is De La hard. Um, this is Milo hard and difficult, but the flavor's still there. And I'm kind of curious to see what you you thought about that. If more courses should do that, because I think it speaks testaments to the game. Like the old golf is great, and it just looks different now, but it's still that same old golf feeling. Um, but do more courses more courses need to do this? Do you like this? How do you want to see? Or what are your take on it? Yeah, so that's a that's a really tough question to answer because I, I love Milo. Milo's my favorite course that I've ever played. It's the place that I I I could play that that there every single day of the week, no problem. Um, I really like what they did with the gold layout. I think they took a really difficult proposition of making kind of a course with that kind of history harder and more up to the level of expected on tour these days. And I think they did a really good job with that, of course, in my opinion. But the biggest thing that they did is they didn't lose the character of what Milo is. You play that course and you're like, this is what Milo feels like. It's exactly like you said. It's just Milo harder than it was before. You don't have those simple par threes where you can really confidently say, I'm going to birdie this hole. You have, I think, the shortest par three on the entire course is over 360 feet. And it's through a tight, low ceiling gap. Um, as far as can you do this to other courses, I think that's really tricky. You know, at Milo, we have the luxury of having two 18-hole layouts. You can pick and choose the best. You can combine holes. You have a lot of space to work with. I don't think that's easy to do at other courses. We've already seen it start to happen with Blue Lake, where the tour has gone to a point where I, I have a lot of respect for Blue Lake as a course, 
I'm not sure it's a tour level course anymore, and I'm not really sure what you do to make it into one again. Even though, you know, Worlds was held there, there's that infamous Paul versus Ricky showdown. There's a lot of history there. There's the Eagle but... Jew showdown. There's exactly. The yeah, all of these things, like, there's a story. Of course, even last year was a story tournament, and I think you're absolutely right, and I think the moment you get away from Blue Lake, I don't think we're going to go back on the Pro Tour level. Um, not because I don't think it deserves it, but just because, like you're saying, like, I don't know what they could do to continue to pay, keep pace with the level of pro in their development. Like, it's not just 10 people anymore that are shredding the course. It's 40, 50 people that are within a few strokes of each other all the way down. And, like, I love Milo, or Blue Lake. Blue Lake's my home course. But you're absolutely right. I think there's just a little bit of pacing issue there. Um, does it have teeth? Absolutely. But I think kind of looking at some of these courses. But I think, I think it at least leaves a question to being able to like what could be done in answering that question? Could you split hole seven into two really good part threes and then combine a hole somewhere else and then have a really cool par four and doing things like that. And I think that's what Milo did when you have like the mad genius hole where it went from the genius to normal 18, they created the mad genius hole. And all of a sudden, like they, they thought like, Oh, the pros are going to like this as part of it. This is what I didn't like or what was tough about master's cup was they didn't listen to all the people that are like, this isn't a par four, this is a par, or this isn't a par three, this is a par four, like hole one. Everyone was saying that, and everyone was upset. So when people bogeyed it, they'd walk away pissed. That's where I'm talking about the mental game changing. Mm -hmm. But what I love about our TDs here at BSF is they asked, and then they changed it last minute. Some people might say it looks unprofessional, but they were willing to change it. And I think willing to be humble in some of these approaches, try something new, but also... Uh, don't make it the same the same old thing because one of the interesting facts about Milo is it's 40 feet shorter than OTB. Um, but all of the shots and all of the upshots are are variables. They're all different. They're not just the same, oh, here's the same, throw far, throw far, take my birdie, throw far, throw far, take my birdie. What it is is, you know, usually a, a straight, straight shot, kind of power 380 to 450, and then a different unique approach shot, which I think is something more of the pro tour needs to look at. I think they need to look at these bar fours and being like, how can we adjust the view viewership of this and make it something different? So it's not just bomb bomb. It's because there are mid ranges holes here. There are putter hole up shots. There are forehand up shots. There are big distance up shots. There's the whole gambit of them um, and shapes like, not only do I have to have a stall hyzer, I have to have a stall anhyzer, I have to have a stall forehand, and things that aren't aren't widely seen. So I think when we look at what courses can change, it should be looking at some of what Milo has done to keep pace because it's not that they just added distance, and because they added distance, it's hard. They truly care about each and every one of their shots, and it, I think it's going to show this weekend. So you mentioned combining holes as, as something courses should look at in terms of maybe can you split a hole up? Can you combine other holes? Can you put in a new hole somewhere else? We already talked about one of the combined holes at BSF. What's your opinion on the other, hole 15? I love it. I think it's uh, it rewards the people that can hit that shot really well off the tee, that big Anheuser that's panning. I saw some people where I was like, oh, nobody's going to get – like this is what I was saying last week, right? I was like, nobody's going to get to this – this tee box of the normal hole, um, but there were. People are parking that, that basket more than I've ever seen. People are pushing past it. They're getting aggressive, and I think it rewards them. 
but it also rewards players like you and myself that aren't going for the birdie. We can chip a forehand down, throw a big hyzer out, and then throw a straight shot in and take our par. And so for what I like about that is you're rewarding the players that have that skill set. You're creating an opportunity for people and very slim margins. It's not an easy par. The very slim margins to par, but you have an, a design that par is doable. But you're also going to punish those people that maybe think they're like that kind of Icarus flew close, too close to the sun, where they're like, "Oh, I can turn, I can do this turnover. Let me do it." And then they're in trouble. You're going to punish those people that think they can go for the second shot and can't. Like, and those are that's where that separation is going to come from because people are going to be like, they they might land, they might execute right. Like, oh, if you step up and you throw your uh, buzz and you just hit it perfectly, you might be so far up there that you feel the pressure to go for it. And then all of a sudden you went from potentially birdie to bogey because you let it off too early or you pushed it too straight or you didn't commit or, or, or. So I really love that combined hole. I don't think it's, I don't think it's gimmicky and I don't think it's gimmicky because you have that par option, um, which takes skill to par, but I love it. What do you think? I completely agree. I, I think you, you really nailed it on the head with your analysis there. I, I think it's the exact same way. Um, I think if you had to throw that big, perfect turnover, even to have a shot at par, I think that's where you start getting into problems with yeah. that hole. But you don't. You can chip a forehand around the corner. You can chip a turnover around the corner. And you can easily par. Or I've seen footage, both on Tuesday and, and from some shots on instagram of people throwing big rollers and getting looks at the basket i i don't mm -hmm. think i don't think it's an unfair hole in any terms i think it's a difficult party for sure but there's some people i've heard out there that are saying oh yeah there's going to be like three birdies on this hole the entire weekend i don't agree with that at all and i i know with my skill set if i really tried i could probably get a birdie look this weekend Am I going to? No, because that's not a smart play. Because <laughs> that brings five and six and seven into play if you mess up that tee shot. But it's and there. I was, I was hearing people talk about turning around on the tee pad and going up the other fairway and getting looks that way. And I was like, I think that sounds great. But the moment you clip something, you're going to be in the worst possible position on that green. And it's not like a seven from there. You're looking at eight nines. You're looking at just like, why did I do this, this shot? Um, and and I like that because you're gonna get somebody that does that this weekend. That's like, hey, I know I could go up this fairway, but it's just fun. So let me try this shot, and they're gonna remind the entire world why that that that's not the smart play to do. Um, but yeah, I think I mean I think it's a great hole, and I'm one of those people that were hesitant when they first combined it because I played that hole a few times. Uh, just casually where like, hey guys, let's just combine these two holes or whatever. There's rumors that are that is circulating that this is gonna happen. So let's let's pretend to try it. And I didn't like it until what you said, where it's just like I'm just gonna chip a forehand down there. And it doesn't even need to be around the corner. You can literally put it straight into the tall grass to the left and still par from there. Um which is like it's great, but you're going to get people that, that want to bite off more than they can chew. And that's what I'm telling you. That's Milo to me. Milo's just like a little bit more. And then you're going to be punished. Like if you're playing safe, like I feel like the trees part for you when you're doing the right thing. But the moment you're not, they're just like, ha ha, get through this. And it's just, it's different. It's difficult. It's a, 
It's a great course. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I know we're talking a lot about Milo and BSF. We both qualified up on up top. We're the qualifiers down below. He's uh he's the the caddy of the century. He's gonna drive up from Eugene tomorrow and caddy for me. So I appreciate that, Josh. Uh, Am I still frozen? Huh? No, you're not. You're talking. You tell me. <laughs> but what were you gonna ask before you rudely cut yourself off? Oh, oh, uh, I was saying that that monster hole. It's like the. It's it's the epitome of Milo wanting you to push a little bit more, and it it will show its teeth so fast. Because if you just hit your landing zones, you can get down there without a problem. It's it's trying to take a little bit too much. Because uh, Milo's a lot about placement shots to play a really good round there. Um, it's kicked well, my it's ass like take, many times. Or yeah, I think taking your medicine and capitalizing when you can capitalize. When you get a, like, I think it's rewarding every time you get like, hey, I might be able to birdie from here. And then it's like, do you have the stones to do it? Like West Hole 1, like normal West Hole 1 from last year. It's the par 4. You have to cross the street. I think I did a practice round with Sam. He threw like a 330 shot, parked it. And I was like, so it forced me to want to do that. I tried it, rolled my wrist, threw it in the stinging nettle. Was terrible. The qualifier, I knew I didn't have that. So... I got in the same little side. I pitched it up, but then I still had to cross the road. And that's the thing with Milo. It's like, you still got to do this thing. No matter though you laid it up, you're supposed to, you still got to execute. Um, and so I got scared. And instead of trusting my shot, I pulled my putter. Like I, I pulled it and it drifted right. And I'm like, fuck, there's a bogey. There's my first bogey of the day. And I'm like, no, fuck it, Paige. Like run this shit. And I had like an 80 foot putt. Like, like nutted it. That's where I was like just feeling like a god that day. And it just hit an 80-foot putt for par. <laughs> bailed myself out and didn't let that impact me. But it's so like, you're right. Like it could just be like, well, you have a 330-foot shot. You can throw a mind bender here. You can throw a hex here. You can throw a forehand here. But then do you have what it takes to do that? And that's just like sometimes I find myself wanting. <laughs> like, no, I don't. Yeah. Let me just do, 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 do. But then it's not safe play. There's no there's no easy like layup like, all right, I'm just going to do this just so I can do this and then get on. That's not Milo because eventually you got to cross the road. Eventually you got to throw it onto the island. Eventually you got to progress on this fairway. There's no just bing, 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 par. And I feel like some courses are like that. <laughs> yeah, Milo's like worked out one of my uh, tournament aces. Yeah, you did. And that hole's taken out. How do you feel about that? So it's not even really like you got an ace at Milo anymore. It doesn't exist. It's gone? Really? <laughs> they took it out for the tournament. It's gone? Just for this, oh, just for this tournament. tournament. Oh, it's yeah. like it never existed? Sweet. Yeah, so like it never existed. When people think Milo now, they're going to think this weekend moving forward. And you're going to be like, <laughs> hey, you're going to tell some random buddy across the way, like in Maryland or something. You're going to be like, hey, Cody, guess what? I aced at Milo. He's like, which hole? I haven't pulled up. And they're never going to be you able know, to see that hole. I'll fucking, I'll show you. I have it. I have it. <laughs> I'm going to show everyone can see it. So they know that Paige is a fucking liar. No, it just doesn't exist in this um, day and age. Oh, this. Yeah, see. Oh, that's a cool hole to get. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was a crazy shot. It was fun. It was like it was a hyzer flip, just right in that left line, and then around the corner, right in. It was fun. Yeah, I like how you had that queued up. I feel like you're just waiting for that. Yeah, always, <laughs> always. No, getting stuff to share is pretty easily. You should also check the private chat, bro. Oh, there's nothing in private chat. Oh, there is. No, there's not. 
Oh, we'll, we'll worry about that when we worry about that. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, guys. I know Josh is talking shit about you in private chat, but yeah, it's, that's it's, just between, it's, it's just that's between about... hosts. <laughs> and Sam. When is the uh, uh, Portland Open? Is that in two weeks? Two weeks. Two they weeks. make a stop. And this is the other thing. We talked about Dela, Milo. They're going to Shelton uh, for an A tier. And they changed that layout. They changed that layout from the blacks to like this gold layout up there. Um, some of the holes are staying the same, obviously. But some of them are going to be new. New two pads in. Um, so that's three weeks Three big tournaments in a row, A tier, silver, A tier, that have changed their layout in order to make it a little bit harder. I think uh, I was telling Josh this beforehand, but I think Milo's great. Like the twenty-seven, I think is always a great layout. It's a blast. I think it's going to be one of those people that are one of those tournaments where any skill level can come and experience Milo and get a birdie or two, and that feels good. And I'm glad that that's a layout that's in there. That's I'm glad that's where I played Milo. But this Milo Gold, I feel like where I'm at, and it's going to be like, you know, the better you get, the less less company you keep. Um, but if we can figure out how to keep this gold layout in a little bit, like, I think that's going to be huge for my development as a player, because I think playing this kind of golf moving forward, I think, is really important to at least how my game is. I feel like how I envision my game, Milo is this right now, and I feel like I'm playing my best golf ever, and I was like, how do I keep this going? Because I don't want to go back to the 27-hole uh, layout because it's not the same it's not the same game to me, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's what I have to say, guys. You guys can sit there in silence. <laughs> uh, we were talking about the chain or how blue blue lake. That's that they use that for the Portland Open, right? Blue lake. No, both not sides of Glendivere this year. What was that? Both sides it's of Glendivere. It's all Glendivere oh. this year. So they don't move at all. They're just all there. This all there, both sides. So you have the side where KJ had his famous rollaway. Hashtag mm -hmm. shout out Henry. Um, ran into him today. He's a great kid. Um, he was on. He was on KJ's bag when he rolled away. He's the one that told KJ to run it. So <laughs> Henry, I love the kid. Um, and then so that was that where he, last year was the east side. Or no, last year was the west side. The year KJ rolled away was the east side, and they're combining them this year. Or not combining them. Anyways, two sides. We're playing yeah. two sides this year. Let, let me help you out there, Paige. Uh, so the first year at Glendevere, they played the west side. That's where KJ rolled away. Last year, said. they played the east side. Um, from what I understand, the east side layout is being tweaked, but it's mostly the same as what they played last year. Some things are different. Some baskets are moved. I think some tee pads are moved, stuff like that, which is great. I really, I've got to play that layout last year. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done for being on a golf course. Um, what I've heard about the, the west side is only a little bit, and I've heard that it's been totally redesigned from the ground I, up. And I played the west side, at least for the ones that have been opening for the weekends, and I'm sure they modified it a little bit. It plays easier. It plays a lot easier than the east side. Um, but they've been they've been modifying it as they go, and I think they've been opening it up every once, like maybe once or twice a month um, for people to come out and play it, and then they've been modifying it from there. Um, but it's flatter. There's not so much elevation change like the the east side has, and a little bit more par threes. I personally like the east side a lot better. I think it's just beautiful golf. Whereas the other side, like they're using more of the trees, kind of carving through the woods, those type of shots. So we'll see. 
uh, if they keep it that way, but... I'm excited like, to... I'm going to get the opportunity to play both courses. I'm also playing in the Portland Open qualifier that week, and so I'm really excited to go out there again. You're going to get beat by me for the qualifier again? Hey, that <laughs> time there's four qualifier spots, so I'll have a better chance of getting Oh, in. shit! Well, I mean, you were... You were the fifth one this time, so we'll get, yeah, we'll get yeah, you up yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's. We don't need to talk about that anymore. I'm in the tournament, okay? You are in the tournament, and I'm glad you're in the tournament. Oh, they're using the uh, Blue Lake for the uh, amateur tournament that weekend. I see. Are they? Yeah, it looks like uh, Portland Open June. Did they move it? Because I thought the M side was on. They're using Glendivere as well during the week, though, right? I know they have um, two AM flex starts at Glendivere. Yeah, there's just the flex starts. Um, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. I hope they don't because I really want to play it when I go up there. Glendivere? No, the uh, Blue Lake. Oh, in the tournament? No, I just want to play it. <laughs> oh, you just want to play it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Portland right. Open to go watch the Portland Open, uh, and I want to go play Blue Lake. Yeah. So I'm hoping they don't no. use it. Because last year they used what Amside had, Pier Park. Pier Park? No, yeah, Pier Park, Dabney, and uh, Glendevere. Okay. I know, I said that we didn't have Blue Lake in, in the Amside. But yes, I'm sorry. I don't even know if they even have an Amside this year. Speaking of Amside, there was a huge A tier that happened. Probably all of the best amateurs in the state showed up. Sam. Our glorious co-host and guest uh, lost, but he was on coverage. <laughs> I was on coverage. He got second. We're supposed to have oh, Dallas nice. on here um, talking about his big win, but he's not here, so we don't need to talk about that. We want to talk about Sam's big push. He did not set himself up for success day one at Pier Park. <laughs> he was like six strokes back. More um, than that. More than that. He did not set himself up very well at all. But he had a huge day at Dabney shooting, what, a 10-20 rated round? 10-30? 10-15. Came out. 10-15. Dropped a little. Okay. 10, I was, yeah. Rated. So 10-15 nice. rated round to battle back and shot the hot round on coverage uh, for Gatekeeper Media at Blue Lake to solidify a second place finish, which I think was huge. When you had that deficit, because, and I think it's huge for two reasons. When you have that deficit, it's hard to make that battle. But Sam has been battling, like, He's not one of those person that was known for like, oh, let me put together a super hot round and battle back into contention. And we've talked about this before because that's kind of where like me and Dallas kind of got him from, right? Where we're like, oh, we can put together that 10, 20 rated round and catch you and beat you and you're going to be upset and disheartened or whatever. And so I know one of the reasons Sam stayed at MA1 was because he wanted to get some of that success of winning, um, but also to kind of learn that style. And so for me, this A tier was so huge like for Sam anyways, because he did that. He put himself in a deficit and he found a way to shoot hot round, hot round and get right back into that mix. Um, and just lost to a kid who was playing out of his mind. Like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think most pros could have beat that kid that weekend with how good he was playing. Yeah. I, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, Dallas averaged something like ten seventeen for the weekend that's just an insane performance across those three courses um i exactly like you said i did not have a good day at pier park pier park is not a course that i play super well it doesn't really play to my strengths in my opinion 
but I fought back really well at, at Dabney and then kind of did the same thing at Blue Lake, honestly. I started really bad, started plus three through three again, and then played the rest of the course five down to come back and shoot the hot round on the card. I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of, if you look at the tournament as a whole, Dallas beat me by a lot. But if we remove Pier Park, where Dallas beat everyone by a lot, I was the best player in the tournament over the last two rounds. And I take a lot of progress in my, my game battle. Because it's exactly like you said, Paige. Last year, um, six even six months ago, I couldn't do that. I couldn't go out and shoot a 10-15 rated second round after having kind of a dud the first round. I couldn't come back and fight my way back into contention and take you know a podium finish. And that's something that I, I really took a long look at what I was doing and then thought a lot about what you both were doing when you were capable of doing that and adjusted my hey, game I'm still plan. capable of not win. I'm still capable of that. Hey, I'm we've just... seen a lot of your second rounds this year, Paige. That's all I'm no, saying. My first, so... I'm saying I'm putting together hot rounds. It's my second rounds are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> because I do so good round one. How do you top that in round two? And I can't. And I fall, I'll fall short. But anyways semantics i just wanted you to know i'm still capable it's still in me somewhere and it's going to show you this weekend no i i agree <laughs> you've been playing really really well this year and it's been it's been i'm very happy for you it was it was cool to see i know there's some parts of last year where you were really struggling with the process of the game so it's been cool to see you put it together a lot more this year we're talking about you not me my ego is already big enough right now <laughs> yes, it is. yes it is yes it is but no, I do it's appreciate that because <laughs> oh, it is. That's why I was like, I was in a chat today, and they're like, "Oh, Paige, you won this qualifier. You got this." Blah blah. I'm like, dude, I gotta keep myself humble because the moment my head gets big, I'm gonna step up the whole one. Like, I could park this. I could park this and take a bogey. <laughs> but no, and like I said, I love to see it because that's that's what I think it takes to be successful, and like especially MA one, you should put together hot round after hot round and. People aren't catching you. Like Dallas shot nine down at Pier Park. That's that's absolutely insane. Like I don't care what the layout is, nine down at Pier Park. That's not that's not heard of. That's not a, a common occurrence. So to do that in tournament with no circle two putts is no huge. circle two putts and one missed twenty footer. Yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, we all know that kid's special, but I think you're just right there with him. Like. And I've, I told you this before, I feel like you're the most consistent player there. I think when you decide and you have decided to move up to MPO, I mm -hmm. think you're going to find a really nice home for you because that consistency is going to continue to pay off. Like for me, I'm still that same explosive to kind of deflating to explosive athlete, which has got me some great. Uh, that's why I can win a qualifier because it's one round. <laughs> it's like, I just got to put one round together. Nothing else matters. Um, and I can do that. Um, but when it comes down to it i'm still very much an explosive explosive athlete in that regard of being like goat hill 10 15 10 20 rated round followed by 900 rated round followed by middle middle of the pack of where i should have been and a lot of times i'm just like if i could just sit in that middle of the pack and i've gotten better at it and i'm getting better at it but i have that hard time keeping myself in that ratio and i think you do that really well so when with you moved up to mpo like i am Really excited for that because I think you're going to find that that rhythm that you like so much um, to be good. And I know, so I'm going to keep hyping you up, but I think for me, 
the biggest misconception that I hear with people training for MPO is like you need to get used to winning before you come up to MPO. And what I'm starting to take away from being MPO at least this long, you don't necessarily need to get used to that winning because that's going to come few and far between. What you need to get used to doing is putting your best foot forward and keeping that best foot forward no matter what. Um, and I think that's a different mindset, at least for me, and that's what I've been trying to do. And I think that's something that you do so well. Um, but yeah. So kudos to Sam. No follow-up? I've, I've been over here just digging. <laughs> digging on the internet. Looking to see if, if they're actually going to do... So it doesn't look like they're going to do a, uh amateur tournament except for two flex starts. That's it. Yep. Nobody. That's it. So the rumor mill was that nobody wanted to TD or tournament direct it, and because nobody wanted to do it, um, they kind of like this was delayed. This only came out like what a month ago was the flex starts, if that. Um, yeah. And they were just like, "This is what we're gonna do." You taking technically this year, you can win uh, PDX Am side twice. You can play both West and East flex start. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the yeah. same day. You can win it twice. So that's going to be my goal this year is to be the double champ. Mm -hmm. um, it's the only way uh, I can no, be Col So Colin's the days. final AM champ, and I'm going to be the double AM champ. Ooh. Or, or. But Colin won by a lot last year. Oh, Colin did a great job Colin last year. played great last year. Yeah. I think it was yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's the four. final AM champ because I think that's the final, at least so far. We don't know what next year is going to look like, but that's the final PDX Open Am side tournament was last year. This year's two flex starts that aren't going to have the big trophy, aren't going to have, you know, all of these things. And so I'm going to be the first double time champ. Uh, and it's not going to mean as much as Collins win, and that's fine. Well, I'm I'm stoked that they're not doing it personally. I mean, it sucks for all you tournament grinders. But as somebody who's going to go watch the Portland Open, I have so many more courses open to me now, and I'm going to play the Portland <laughs> courses. So, suck it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think it's, I mean, you see, like, even BSF, like, Amateur Weekend is, what, three or four weeks from now? Or four or five weeks from now? Yeah, it's, mm. it's in the middle of June. And it's not the gold layout, it's no. the full 36, or is it the 27? It's the full 36. I believe it's two rounds east, one round west. So it's like, but it's like, yes, it's called Beaver State Fling, but I feel like more and more doing that. Masters Cup had the week before. Um, I think that's just kind of the way that they're transitioning. I think even Vegas had rumors that they're going to split the amateur weekend from the from the Masters or the, the pro weekend. And it was supposed to be that like this. Was it this year or last year? Because they're supposed to have the conference, the infinite discs like conference convening all this like hype. So it's like amateur was supposed to be like that weekend and then the pro tour, but then infinite didn't do it. It didn't fire no word from it since, but then, yeah. So I don't know. I think that's kind of the direction that they're going. There's going to be more separation between am side and pro side, which is unfortunate because I think the big thing is like, I think the pros should want an am side tournament there because those are people that are going to be buying their discs. There are people that are going to stay there and support them on top of uh, just, normal gallery members, you know? I don't know. Got a question here. Any guess on what a thousand rate round will be? I think one uh, down. At Mila Gold? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say one down that's what, that's is what a I thousand as, as well. I, I was debating. 
Is it two now that hole 17's par five? I think one down still gets a thousand rated. I don't think it's that easy of a layout. I think 990 par feels good. Like I said, like I was playing lights out on on Thursday and getting plus one, which would be even. I feel like is that kind of like mm-hmm. 990 thousand rating, especially when you have like how many people like on Tuesday where like there's even in one won it and that's normally what wins this kind of like c tier level uh event and so i think even's thousand or one down thousand and i think even's gonna be like that 990 one over is probably gonna be like 980 yeah i think that's reasonable i i it's hard for me to compare what my round felt like versus what it's actually gonna score i mean because like I look at, I think about the field, right? I watched coverage from OTB. We've seen coverage on wide open layouts where you need to throw big distance shots. And, you know, we talked about it earlier, right? Milo's going to bait you into wanting to throw these shots. But the, the top caliber players have plenty of control, even throwing 500 plus feet, that they're going to be able to do those and get birdie looks on a lot of these holes where a player like you and I just, it's not really feasible. I mean, I think, again, I think even one down is going to be around 1,000. But I think there's going to be players that are going to be pushing double digits with 17 think, now being a par 5 as the hot so round. I agree with that. I think the hot round was going to be 10 down before the change. And I think 11 down is going to be that change. I think you're going to have like 11, 10, and then 9, 9 kind of being that like lead card. And I think it's that because I think... You're right. There's not there's there be holes that we don't birdie. Like hole two, pros are gonna bur- like the top level pros are gonna find a way to birdie that hole, and we're not. But I think our best like hole that we can do is like four five down maybe. Like I I shot four down today, feeling like I was playing absolutely on fire. Like to the point where I was like, guys, I need to miss. I'm playing too good. Like I don't know what's going on. Why am I so good right now? Like I need to save it for tomorrow. That is how I was playing. Um, and the pros, like, I think they can get to 10 down and 11 down. I have a hard time thinking they can get really past that because there's still even holes, I feel like, um, out of the whole 18 that are going to give them a little bit of teeth that are going to, you know, like, I think, what is it? Uh, the one before West's uh, hole one, the little candy cane, that 450 up the hill. Yeah, that one, I think people are going to think they can go for it and they should be able to. With the high gap, high is stall. I watched uh, Aaron Gossage birdie it on Brody's thing. Um, but that birdie to bogey ratio that they're going to do, it's like they birdie it one day and then like go bogey and then par it. And we're going to make up the strokes because we're averaging par on that all three days. Um, I think that's going to happen and keep people just kind of limited. I don't think it's going to be deep double digits, but I think they're going to just touch it at 10 and 11 down. And there's only going to be a few of them. I don't think there's going to be that fast of everyone just showing up Ooh, which pro question. do you see having the best skill set to have the hot round for the course i and mean when it says do we you, just... it was talking, talking about sam <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just saying there's three people that pick six me f- for this weekend so uh, i guess i'm letting it go to my head a little bit just <laughs> <laughs> sam it's <laughs> a really good that's a really good question, honestly, as to who has the, the best skill set to to attack this course. My mind honestly first goes to a player like A B. 
as someone who's going to have distance. Say what you will, he's been playing real good this season. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think this, is, this is the type of course he can really attack. I just don't think that's his kind of like game set is this because he uses a lot of fairway. This is keep it tight and then pushing. I think I just really liked uh, Goose on Brody's thing. The way he's looking, his backhand is coming out firing. Somebody that's known for their forehand to have some of those shots. I think he has a great lineup. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Eagle McMahon is here, who's won it a few yeah. times in the past. Um and has the game for it, even minus his forehand, he has the game for it. Especially how he's throwing those like mid ranges, four hundred feet. If he can just go mid range on every hole, it's gonna be hard for us to beat that guy. Um, I think those, like I said, I got picked six three times, so I have a chance of winning it because clearly three people <laughs> believe in me, and that's all I need to be successful in life. <laughs> no, I think Eagle's a great call. You know, Eagle McMahon in Oregon is always going to be dangerous, but he's been streaky this year. I could see him come out and yeah. blowing the field away. I could also see him come out and miss cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's I a think... higher chance of missing cash on this one, personally. I don't. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I think there's a higher chance of hitting cash, but, you know, 15, 20, 20th place. Yeah, but Milo's a great the great course where you're going to have like a Garrett Gerthy that just comes out of nowhere, shoots hot and wins it like last year. And I think that was huge, huge win for him. Eagle early on in his career when he won, it was a huge step forward for him. And I think Milo finds ways to shine a light on some of these steps. I actually see a Casey white come in and just popping off and dominating. Like I think, or a Paul Yuleberry. Uh, no, he has no chance out here. No, he does. I, I feel like this is going to be his, his tournament. I think you two are going to battle it. Off into the end, and you know what? It page plays alongside <laughs> Paul. How would that well? I did. Out? I did see Paul today, and I looked him dead in his eyes, and I needed him to know that I was talking shit about him. But I wanted to do it through looks. I didn't want to do it through voice, and he had no fucking idea. And so when he turned away, threw his shot. I'm like, yeah, walk away, bitch. And he did. He walked away up the fairway, and I threw the other hole. So. That's my Paul Yulevar story today. <laughs> but what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do if it comes down to you and you and Paul, lead card, final round? You guys are like you're, you're pushed away from the field about five. I'm seven gonna strokes, I'm gonna have a buddy, Oksana Bayul, so I win. <laughs> <laughs> Is that before your time, oh. Sam? I know you're young. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Honestly. <Just a> boxing <laughs> session against Paul Yuleberry. Yuleberry. <laughs> And Paige. I would pay I would pay to see that. Yeah, it's Yulabari, guys. When you have no respect for people, you mispronounce their name. I gained a lot of respect for Manny, so I learned his last name. Yeah. Um, and that you know, that's why that's I, put you, I put you on my, my fantasy this, this week. I put you know Paige for for Tafo. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't have the respect. I don't got I don't have the respect, so I didn't learn it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be okay. Also, Paul's taller than I give him credit for. I didn't realize how tall he was. I still want to get over seeing AB for the first time in person. Oh, I saw him. He was it was that whole crew that like uh, discraft uh, group of like mm -hmm. Hamas, like AB, Paul. There was a couple other people. His caddy, his caddy was cute. Just sitting on his thing, trying to talk shit. <laughs> I was like, AB yeah, is but... crazy tall. Yeah, they I all was are. So surprised. 
We were like, because I, I was playing with a couple buddies, and they were like, yeah, we're just not built like that. They're just built different. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. For sure. I'm, I'm 5'10", uh, like barrel-chested kind of guy, and these guys are like 6'6", six, six, like maybe 140 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> just Absolute twigs. All sinew. Just sinew. I just, yeah. All ligaments and sinew. Yeah, but then you got people like like Garrett Gerthy, you know? Emerson Keith is a good example. Emerson Keith is surprises the hell out of me. How well I don't think it was him. Me. I don't think he won that tournament. I think Ari won him that tournament. That's how good of a caddy she is. And that's why Ricky is so successful. is because of her. Ooh. Just though. Woo! Okay. Is... Can, can I give a hot take for a second? Absolutely. Yes. I don't think Emerson won that tournament last weekend. I think I Gossage. I think Gossage lost it. Yeah, for Ooh. sure. For sure. I I think he collapsed down the stretch, and that's that's the only reason I wouldn't pick him to win this weekend at Milo. I think he's got the skill set, but I I just I don't know. It's hard to watch watch that happen. It's the same reason why I wouldn't pick Cole to win this weekend. I think Cole absolutely has the skill set and he knows the course, but watching the front nine of the final round last week i don't know yeah but that's that's why like he keeps putting himself in that position like same thing with proctor i think proctor would be a good pick too of just continuing to put themselves in that position so that when the time is right it's going to click that's how you learn these things that's the same thing with you like what was was your first win right how many times were you almost there and then page beat you and then dallas beat you (laughs) And then Colin beat you, and then Paige beat you again, and then finally Paige moved up, and you won one without him. (laughs) Like sometimes it takes. I think Goose put himself in that situation last week. Um, I think he has a skill set to be good here, and he's going to put himself in that situation again. Um, And like Cole, Cole, I think is a great pick. If you're looking for a sleeper pick that isn't Paige, I think Cole's a great pick on this one. Chris Nelson is another great one. Chris Nelson plays Milo so freaking well. Um, and he has historically, and so two Oregonians that I do highly recommend on your pick six. Yeah, and I think people forget that Chris Nelson was on lead card at last year's BSF. He absolutely has the skill set and the knowledge of the cores to pop off. But because they failed but... once, they're gonna fail again. Sam, is that what Sam Benson? No, is I'm just saying. Look, when it when it comes to that, because I've been there myself, and I can only take from my own experiences. I have seen that in other sports, golf. Played a lot of golf. Seen the exact same thing, and I want to see them do it before I'm gonna pick them to clutch that kind of situation. Yeah, because no, there's some you're people right, that I've... just don't get over the line. Mm-hmm. No matter what they try, and like, and you're right. There was a time, like even like last year, I didn't think I was gonna win an MA1 tournament until like middle of the year, towards the end of the year. Um, and then when I popped off early, it was hard to capitalize on that. That's the same thing that's worrying about me in my MPO. It's like I wasn't expecting to do this well, um, and then I crossed that line, and it's like you're absolutely right. There's this real like pivotal like moment, and you know, basketball is one we continue to reference. There's the the people like a Jimmy Butler who's making a deep push right now but he hasn't crossed that threshold and he'd be hard pressed to not be one of the greatest shooting guards of all time. But because there's so many good ones that have crossed that threshold, it's always going to be kind of like that bridesmaid, never, never a bride aspect of it. And so I kind of, I can get you with there, but I think, I think Cole can break through at any tomorrow. Like, I think 
he's he's doing what some of the other Oregonians haven't been able to do. He's finding success on that big stage, and I think it's just a matter of time because you have like one of the winningest pros ever in Scott Withers, who's had very limited success outside of Oregon on that tour, and Cole's finding a way to break through that. Um, and I think Scott, don't get me wrong, I think Scott's battling, and he's obviously a pick for this weekend as well um, because hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I mean, he's on the feature card, and I know he's going to do everything he can because Oregon is his home to get himself on that feature card. Um, on that lead card so scott is another one to keep an eye out for chris nelson but yeah cole's doing what some of these pros haven't done which is transferring his game onto a bigger scale so i think it's a matter of time for that proctor same thing um so i think you're wrong sam about about that but i think you're right about the sentiment yeah and i'm gonna say if cole can find a way to win either this weekend or in a couple weeks at the portland open the crowd is going to go absolutely insane for the local guy to pull out I the, think so. the W. Especially because he earned that feature card spot this year. Through his success, mm-hmm. he earned to be on that feature card, and I think that's huge. Um, we have another question from Facebook user. This one right here? I don't know. I just... So uh, this one kind of, was kind of already addressed earlier, but we can bring it up again. Uh, so here's a question I have to MA slash FA. Uh, do you win before you move up to FPO or MPO? Did that backwards, but yes. So I won just a little tournament called the Oregon State Championships and decided <laughs> that I should move up. I cannot fucking stand you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Josh? It's just a little tournament. It's just um, your head just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. Little so little like, tournament no gimmicky course, no you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think these are all varying like topics that are kind of individually based. I think talking with Sam earlier on this podcast, um, I made a good point of being like a lot of people say that you need to learn how to win before you move up, and I've been trying to challenge that more and being like you need to learn how to put your best step forward and then move up, and if that means you're the most consistent 960 rated player that has never won, then that's fine. Move up so that 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 consistent 960 turns into a consistent 980, turns into a consistent 990, because eventually, if you keep doing that, these tournaments are going to be won. And I think Sam proves that based off his consistency to where it's just like, okay, cool. Everyone is doing this and he's doing this. Um, And that's a dangerous place to be especially when you're looking at how hard it is to win a tournament here in Oregon, being able to win three or four tournaments, a huge step, it's huge success. Winning one is huge. Um, But finding, and this is this for me, right? So when you move up to MPO and FPO, finding what success actually means to you, finding what uh, you're trying to gain from that move up is important because sometimes people feel pressure to move up. But Sam showed me like no matter how much I pressured him because I wanted him to move up, he still stayed down at MA1. Dallas, the same thing. I pressured Dallas a lot to move up, and he's still staying down at MA1. Um, And they're having that success, and I'm having some of these struggle tournaments, um, but it pays dividends to elsewhere, right? Like Sam is talking about he hasn't played this level of field um, at Milo, so he doesn't want to embarrass himself. Well, I moved up a little bit sooner, so playing a Goat Hill, playing a Masters Cup has given me some of this depth of the field to where I'm not worried about embarrassing myself in front of these people anymore because I've already done that. 
Now I'm worrying about impressing them. And how cool would it be if I put one together and Rathbun's like, hey, you know what, Paige? Next time I'm on your podcast, we're going to talk about this. Like, those are those little things that excite mm. me because I moved up just a little bit before Sam. Sam's definitely going to get there because I think everyone has kind of been where he's at. I'm still where I'm at. Like, I'm begging for a caddy this weekend because I'm like, my card is so fucking stacked. Like, I need somebody to help keep me, like, sane and sober. So those are my thoughts about moving up after, like, into MPO and FPO. I know Sam has, like, alternating views. And Josh. Yeah, I'll just go real quick. And what I'll say is that I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to this. I, I think kind of like what you said, you have to think about what what are you trying to get out of staying in MA1 or moving up to MPO or FA1 and you know FPO? What, what are you trying to gain? Are you trying to play against higher quality of competition? Are you trying to win tournaments? Are you trying to be the guy and learn how to handle the pressure of being the guy? Are you trying to learn to how handle the pressure of having that stacked field, those super good players? And honestly, like it's a different answer for everyone. For me, I stayed in MA1 for most of the first half of this year. I, I split my time about 50-50 between MA1 and MPO in the first half of this year. And really, yeah, I played a... Okay, get out of here, Paige. Um, but but no, the reason I did that is for two things. One, I couldn't win a big event in MA1 at all last year. I just couldn't do it. One of the goals I wanted to do this year is win a bigger event. I did that early in the season, right? I won Santiam. That was Huge my, event. my big win of uh, uh, in MA1. From that point on, I was still playing MA1 tournaments because... I didn't want to play MPO for because I was trying to keep my amateur status to play am majors. Now, things changed, life happens, and I'm not going to be able to play any of the amateur majors, hence why I'm going to play out the string on the MA1A tiers I'm signed up for and play MPO only after that. But it's kind of a, a different thing. For me, I knew I had to win to feel comfortable moving up. For myself personally, but I don't think you have to. There's plenty of people who either won a small C tier or didn't win at all, jump straight to MPO and are doing great, right? That's it's it's different for every single person that's out here. It's that's my path, and you know now I'm at the point where I'm ready to start doing MPO full time and battling with Paige again. I've missed it, honestly. <laughs> I'm ready to lose some more Paige. <laughs> I'm ready to keep uh, taking your money. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think the conversation changes for FPO. I do want to hear some of your thoughts around that, but I think F FPO, you definitely have to learn how to win as an FA1 because your fields are going to be like, and I hate to, like, they're just smaller, right? They're eight, they're 12, they're four, and being able to put yourself in contention that way and learn how to battle at the top, I think is important. Um, and so learning that with FA1, I mean, I think Sam hopes that too. I hope that this is sad reality is that sometimes he can't beat me no matter how hard I try to mess it up. Um, <laughs> but I want to see him succeed as well. I want Sam to beat me. I think it's funner when Sam is beating me. Like, what was it? You passed me. I had to be like eight months ago. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a segue. Like eight months ago, Sam passed me on the ratings. We would do this back and forth of like, mm -hmm. I'm 940. He's 941. I'm 943. He's 942. And we did this for a while. 
And then finally he got the 950 hump and I got stuck. And it took me like six or seven months to finally catch him. And then I and passed then he him. passed me. And like, so for me, I like that. I like that chase. Like, like I look at Sam as not only as one of my closest like disc golf buddies, but also one of my biggest rivals. So the better he's doing, the more I'm going to chase him down and hunt him down because I can't do that. Dallas used to be that. I used to keep pace with Dallas. And then all of a sudden just <laughs> like Dallas McBoy showed up and I couldn't, I couldn't catch him. So I needed to redefine who some of my rivals are, who some of the people that I'm comparing myself with um, Colin, he's been a guest on here multiple times. He's somebody that I constantly say I'm six months behind him. Um, now I feel like it's four months behind him, but I still feel like I'm chasing this guy's down shadow. And even though I've beaten him a few times this year, I still feel like I haven't caught him. I haven't bridged that gap. Um, and I need those things. I need those chases for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, Sam, I want him to beat me hundred percent because that gives me another target to chase. But I know we're, I mean, I think sandbagging is a term I've been on record before about this. And I, I want to hear like Josh's opinion on this as well. I think sandbagging is misused quite a bit, especially as an explosive athlete myself, because I'm somebody that's been like 940 rated and shot 1,000 rated rounds, um, 920 rated and shot 990 rated rounds, and people would deem that sandbagging. Um, but we're all capable of explosive rounds. We're all capable of putting together something magical because we've all been that. Of course, even Josh, who's probably the technically lowest rated person on here, um, he's gone to a course and shot 7, 8 down and had a 1,000 rated pace, even if just casually. Um and that's that's disc golf, and that's thing. That's what's great. And so at these tournaments, we're supposed to be peaking. We're supposed to be at our best. So when somebody goes and pops off, people are so quick to diminish it because they make that seem like they're a worse disc golfer. Oh, because Sam did so good and I did so bad, I must suck. Why am I? You know, like they put this like energy out there rather than like trying to be excited for Sam and winning that and having that breakthrough. And I think the better you get, the more you see that. Of being like, it doesn't matter who you are. You shot an amazing round. I couldn't even think about shooting like 10 down on this course. And you just did it. Um, That's awesome. I shot four down and I felt good. But imagine that 10 down, like, we need more of that positivity. We need more of Mm -hmm. that uplifting. And getting away from labels like sandbaggers. And move up, so what? So that you can win? Do you want to win that way that the, the person that just won this tournament moved up so you don't have to worry about them? Like, no, I... Like, one of my biggest things is that I beat Dallas for states, that I beat Sam at, for Buxton, that I beat, you know, like, those are some of my big accomplishments because of who I was facing. Sam doesn't have a big accomplishment in San Diego because Paige wasn't there. Dallas wasn't there. Like, so it doesn't mean anything to him. <laughs> Look, all I'm oh. going to say is that Dallas did play that tournament. Oh, he did. he did. I forgot and he DNF. I smashed him, so... <laughs> But see, just like that, that's what I'm talking about. Because Sam knows Dallas was there, and he smashed Dallas, and that's important. And if Dallas wasn't there, it would still mean a lot because he won that tournament, obviously. But these rivalries exist through competition, through these quote-unquote sandbagging. I mean, yeah, I think that's it's a misused term, and I think it's people trying to project their insecurities and frustrations of losing on why somebody was successful. And I don't like that. Josh, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I think there is a line there, though. I don't think you can sandbag uh, in MA1. I don't think you can. I think 
to go to MA1 to MPO, it's about giving yourself enough confidence. I feel like you could be playing uh, a division that you will, you're a lot more consistent, you're a lot more confident. If you play MA2 or MA3, you're just going to be pulling out Ws. While there's people who like that friendly competition of playing with people who were similar in confidence and similar in skills uh, and consistency. And so they play an MA3 or MA2. And if you're an MA1 player who decides, I just, you know, I want those trophies. So they you go back down. Yeah, it's anyone could beat that person, but it's not as common. And it does kind of take away when you're going into a tournament and you look and see who's decided to play in a certain division. It's like, all right, well, the likelihood of me getting that achievements of like beating a field that's common in their skill set with me uh, is kind of out the door. Mostly, it's possible, but it's not likely that I'd win. Um, I mean, it's. I think it takes away from that from the competition. It takes away from those those amateurs that are playing just for fun um, and not trying to grind to be MPO. Um, but I do get what you're saying. Anyone can have their day. Anyone could be anyone. It can happen. Really? I mean, outside the elite level, because that's just ridiculous what they can do sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's always tough, too, because you're right. There's those, like, perennial people that stay down at MA2 and just win every weekend that they show up. But also, I don't see those people progressing like they that you should imagine. If they can continue to play MA2 for two years straight and win two years' worth of trophies... That's awesome, but you also know their rating, their skill cap hasn't improved, and so they're doing more detriment to their game and their development and their trade-off is for trophies. And at the end of the day, the moment they move up to MA1, those MA2 trophies aren't going to feel as good anymore. When they move up to MPO eventually, those MA2 trophies aren't going to feel as good anymore um, because they didn't do it under the right light, under the right guys, under the right scope, um, and they're stunting their game. When I decided to go from MA2 to MA1 because I felt MA2 had a lot more tryhards at the time than MA1, I was thankful for that because I didn't get caught into that trophy chasing. I didn't get caught into that. I learned how to be successful in MA1 just like now I'm learning how to be successful in MPO because I'm not chasing these trophies. I'm not chasing this like, uh, and my game is continuing to improve because of that. People are stunted. Like there's a 900 rated MA3 player that's doing it. Technically it's within the rules. But what are they doing to their game to allow themselves to play that continually? They're not getting better. And so at the end of the day, that trophy is all they have to take home. And I think that's a sad, sad version of disc golf. But some people really enjoy that. But if they're trying to get better, if you're trying to put your best foot forward, eventually they're going to move up. Eventually they're going to take the next step up. And if they don't, like Josh, Josh moved up to MA1 this year. Like because of some of those sandbaggings, he wanted to experience MA1. Right? Am I wrong, Josh? I don't want to be wrong. But, like, he moved, like, I thought he moved up because he wanted to get away from that and start to enjoy the game. And his skill set is going to show up that because I said this before there's a difference when you step on that green and everybody misses the putt and you just, you, you go to putt and you miss. And it's like, oh, we all did it. But there's a difference when everyone bangs that putt and you bang that putt. And that's that, that, that little bit of like, okay, cool. And that's what's going to make you better. Mm -hmm. But, anyways, guys. We're going for an hour and 15 minutes. We're going long. Um, so I do have to be mindful of time. Yes, I have all of my MA1 trophies um, that I've won. 
especially my Oregon State Championship. Um, oh hey, state champion. I got one year to brag about it. I'm the defending state champion this year. I was uh, here's a here's a little tangent. This will be my closing thoughts before we pass it on. So my closing thoughts, I was yeah. in Dela and I was playing a practice round with some friends, and they were like, Hey, you're from Oregon. Do you know so and so? I was like, ah, the name sounds familiar. I haven't heard from him in a while. Why? What's up? They're like, oh, I think they're the state champion in Oregon. And I was like, hold <laughs> up. No, he was not the MA1 state champion. I am. My name is Paige. I am not this person. And realized he was talking about the MA1 state champ for two years. Two years ago when he battled Jeb, which was a fun battle. I was a part of that. I think I got like fourth or fifth, um, maybe sixth or seventh. I don't remember. But anyways. Ninth, tenth. Who's coming? Yeah. That was that was two years ago, um, but I got one year of defending this this title. I am pumped for this weekend. Clearly, we just talked a lot about Milo, Milo Gold, and BSF. I am excited for it. I am ready for this. I'm going to have a blast. I have a dream card, um, so I'm going to go out there and have some fun. We'll kick it off to Sam for some closing thoughts. Yeah, uh, I just want to say thank you guys again to letting me come on and you know talk about all these various topics it's always a pleasure uh same thing honestly i am so excited to play bsf this weekend i've think i've got very manageable expectations i'm gonna go out there and you know i'm gonna do my best i'm gonna play my game i'm gonna enjoy it i'm gonna soak it all in and then you know i'm gonna have that experience i'm gonna have that exposure so the next time i'm in an opportunity like this i can capitalize on it okay exactly Josh, closing thoughts? Yeah, you know what? I'm hoping to go play Dexter. They just got all brand new baskets. Uh, Good. What kind? Yeah, disc catchers. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Dexter brand just new baskets. moved up. Because they're, well, they're getting ready you know, for the Masters to come through. So it's a good upgrade. Um, needed upgrade. Yes, it was. Because we, we had those Prodigy ones that just spit out spit all out. the time. Mm-hmm. The amount of people yeah. bitching about Prodigy Baskets at a Dexter tournament is probably akin to Ari and her woos. I don't know which one's more, like, just synonymous with something. But Dexter and their baskets in a tournament, every hole, like, you'll get people like, you know, like, oh, lip it. Like, goddamn Dexter Baskets didn't catch my plot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, then to finish it off, you know, I do want to tell how does Jerry Ann get a jammer shirt in the words of she Aaron. She don't. She soon. don't. Soon. It'll happen. And while I'm at it, might as well do a shameless plug. We got some new. They're coming soon. Got some Thought Space patches coming on ThoughtSpaceAthletics.com. It'll be here. And last but not least, for my final thoughts, uh, Paige, I'm going to need you to do earmuffs. Sam, I really hope you beat him very badly. <laughs> um, and that's all I have. <laughs> all right, guys. So this week's sponsor, we're going to do a little bit differently. Um, Sam and myself, just like Josh and myself, share a sponsor. Josh and myself share TSA. Sam and myself share All Day Disc Golf. So All Day Disc Golf is a local brick and mortar here in Portland, Oregon. Um they have an amazing selection of discs and beer. They're one of the only shops that are willing to take chances on new discs. So when you have somebody like Birdie that comes out, they're willing to buy them and see how the, they are and push them. And I think that's important for brick and mortars because you go in there and you fill a lot of discs. 
But why I wanted to highlight All Day Disc Golf is because Jesse Tomeno is one of the TDs for Beaver State Fling. He put a lot of man hours in. He put a lot of effort into it. Um, Milo Gold is playing like probably my favorite course of all time out of all of the courses I played, and that's saying something. Um, and he's doing it in a way that is inclusive to all of the MPO and FPO thoughts. It's probably one of the only FPO designed 18. Every FPO hole has been thought out. They probably have the dream 18 uh, for FPO page designed, by the way. I had the vision. It is there. My one mark on the disc golf world, but the, the effort that Jesse put into making sure that the FPL was represented in this course is huge. So make sure that you're checking out both MPO and FPO coverage at Beaver State Fling this weekend because they're not the same 18 holes, just with modified pars. They are different shots. They are different shot shapes. And they're really thinking about FPO for this tournament. So, Jesse, huge shout-out to All Day Disc Golf. If you're local in town, go swing by them. Tell them Paige and Sam sent you. And tell them they promised you something free. Um, because <laughs> that's what we're here for, guys. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in out. Keep jamming in and rough. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>